Welcome to the Cedarville Stories podcast. My name is Sarah. Today on the show, we have a very special guest, Don Callen, former Cedarville Athletic Director and men's basketball coach. Listen as Don and host Mark Weinstein discuss the Yellow Jackets and Don's influence on athletics. Enjoy this conversation. Thank you, Sarah, for that introduction. I'm Mark Weinstein, and welcome back to another episode of the Cedarville Stories podcast. I'm so glad you've joined me today. When you think of Cedarville basketball, the name of Don Callen should come to mind. That's because for 35 years, he was the head men's basketball coach of the Yellow Jackets. From 1960 to 1995, his teams recorded 578 victories, which is an impressive total. Coach Don Callen also served as Cedarville's athletic director from 1961 to 1997, and he was the dean of the School of Health and Human Performance as well. Coach Callen is a member of many halls of fame, including the NAIA, NCCAA, Cedarville University, and at his alma mater, Taylor University. And he is the founder of the Missions Involvement Service at Cedarville University and has taken sports ministry trips for more than four decades. Coach Callen, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining me today. Well, it's good to be with you, Mark. From sharing your bio with our listeners, I must ask, is there anything at Cedarville University that you didn't do or accomplish? Because your fingerprints are on a lot of programs and a lot of people. Well, truthfully, that is sometimes true because when I came, there was a, such a small group of faculty here. I did. I never was a leader. I don't think of the faculty, but I was a. I was a leader in the what I did, and I was. Uh, I was a young, aggressive. Thought I knew everything. No, I didn't really. But I. I wanted to experiment on the things that that I wanted to do. I remember well starting with Dr. Jeremiah. The first day I was on campus, I saw Dr. Jeremiah. He said, what are you doing here? School hadn't started. I said, well, I, I thought you hired me. And he said, well, I did. I said, well, Dr. Jeremiah, when you hired me, I came for life. And he shook his head and looked at me and said, okay. <laughs> and he walked away from me. But anyway, I didn't know how prophetic I would be. I'm uh, down the road a little bit from there, uh, 1960. So, yes. So, I it was small. We were small. We had right. We didn't have a... We know we were surviving. We were actually just surviving, and visions much greater than that. And and I'm sure the others did too. And I was just bold enough to step out and try to do some things that never been done before. Well, we'll get into that as well. But before we dive into your journey here at Cedarville and what you accomplished and what you had uh, your hands in. I really think it's important to start the podcast with learning more about your journey toward faith in Jesus. What's the story behind your new life in Christ? Well, that's a that's a good that's a good place to start because I don't know. <laughs> I've always believed in God. I always did. My mother always said to have faith in God. She I don't know she was a believer even. Okay. Uh, I was told when I was over forty years old that I was saved as a six year old. And I remember being there. I remember I was about six years old, and I remember being at her house. God always seemed to have his hand on me. I appreciate it, and I'm glad he took interest in me, and he directed my life in so many ways, and I was known as a believer. Maybe I was just a nice kid. I don't know. So in high school, I went I went to a church. I, uh, I dated a girl who went to church. Well, I went before I did that, too, but her mother was a discipler. Her mother discipled me for many years, the many years I knew her. I dated her daughter for about a year. 
but I became fast friends with her. Anyway, then I, her kids went to Taylor University. So I said, okay, I'm going to Taylor University. I knew there was no other place. And I went and I hitchhiked to get there. I left my house with a suitcase. Now, my dad said, you know, hey, good luck. And uh, so I got the door and I told him, he said, why do you want to go? I said, I want to play football. And he said, you never played football. How, why would you want to go? You don't even play football. I said, I can play football. And, and he said, okay, well, you're on your own. And so I went out in front of our house. It was probably less than 25 yards from the road, walked across the road and stuck out my thumb. My mother looked out and felt sorry for our man, came and backed the car up and took me uh, 10 miles to a major highway in there in Indiana. And I sucked my thumb out again, and I never had trouble getting a ride. I could almost hitchhike faster than I could drive it. And uh, I always got a ride. And I, Mark, now you, <laughs> I always told Nedra, but Nedra, look at me. What would you pick me up? She said, I can't believe it. <laughs> So where, where's home for you? Where, where was home for you at that time, I should say? Right, Indiana, B-R-I-G-H-T, just across the Indiana line near Harrison, Ohio, up in the hills. And uh, that's where I went to school, graduated from high, uh, college or okay. high school there. That was my background. I was a farm boy most of that time. And um, no, nothing particularly exciting. I was an average student in high school. I, I it, Taylor must have been taking really poor students when I got in because I just walked in easy and uh, they took me in and signed me to five regular subjects, including psychology, history, and theology. I, think. I don't know what all they I thought I was going to be a pastor and I had no idea what I was going to do. So uh, I guess the pastor probably told them I was, I was going to go that direction. Well, hopefully um, you'll, you'll have some time to share that. So, you're at Taylor. Uh, sound like your faith grew while you were a student at Taylor. What I understand, you were an exceptional football player at Taylor, maybe even a better football player than basketball. I'm not sure, but you can tell me. I think that's true. Okay. So knowing that you had a maybe a stronger skill set in, in football, uh, did you ever want to be a football coach, or how did you become a basketball coach? Yeah, I did some football coaching in high school. When I coached in high school, I did uh, football. Co- I wasn't a head coach, but I, I, I thought I knew everything, but I didn't. Uh, but I, truthfully, basketball, I know, but I knew basketball. I understood basketball and I played back. I was a point guard. I knew everything was happening. But in football, I was fast. And, and they point me in the right direction. And I was a, I was a terror on wheels, you know. So I had good success in scoring. Uh, I think something like third in nation in scoring the, my my senior year, and uh, anyhow, that was I I felt I was a better basketball player, but everyone thought I was better football. So, are you in the Hall of Fame at Taylor because of football or basketball or both? Uh, I would have to say yes, uh, either one. I was one of their top scorers for many years in football and uh, in basketball. I probably was not put in the Hall of Fame. I, for that. I, I'm really not sure why they're, why didn't anyone ever put you in a Hall of Fame? I don't know. Uh, I would never know. I, I, I would never know that, Don, because I've never been in. A- I w- well, I don't, I don't claim to know either. But anyway, I, like I said, I was a nice kid. I was a nice, person. I was pleasant. I was sociable. I, all the people loved me. My coaches loved me. I was uh, evangelistic with my, with my teammates and with my classmates and they all knew that I had a heart for God, and I think that had a part to do with it, too. 
So let's let's transition to uh, your time at Cedarville. Okay, so I mentioned on the, in the intro that you your teams have won 578 games in your 35 year career. That's that's astounding. But did you know? Here's a question for you, Don. Did you know that? The Mount Vernon Nazarene team that I was a part of in the late '80s and early '90s went two and two against you, against your teams. I believe. It. I'm surprised it wasn't four and zero against us. Well, we couldn't we couldn't beat you here at Cedarville because one, you had good teams, and you guys had the greatest fans and the, definitely the greatest pep band in the land. Well, I had a lot to do with that. You know that. No, I didn't really. We developed a good basketball team, and like I said, our kids were good kids. And we asked them to be that way. And, and uh, it just was the, the nature of the beast. And winning brings in the fans. Of the, of the teams that you've coached, do any teams stand out in your memory right now as highly memorable for whatever, for whatever reason, whether because they won a lot, whether they served a lot, whatever reason, uh, do any teams stand out in your mind? Well, yeah. I mean, the coaches made it. <laughs> Ernie Balikian and Mount Vernon and uh, Kessler at, at at uh, Grace, uh, two of the year schools, and there are others around. The first coach that I really had conversation with was the first time I lost, and that was at Defiance College. And Merle McDonald, I think his name was, he beat my ears down. My kid didn't know what to do, I don't think. Maybe he thought they didn't. And after the game, he came up and said, Don, you'll learn to be a good coach. Did he motivate me? And uh, yes, and anyway, there are a lot of a uh, lot of coaches. Of course, my old college coach, I coached against him, and I knew exactly what to do to beat him, and I and I did, and uh, probably very fortunate that I did. Last second shot by Rod Lane, uh, who was not one of my stars. In fact, we set the play up and and said, Rod, you get the ball, you let her fly, and he hadn't shot a shot all night. I don't know why I did it, but he got the ball in the corner because I knew the play would get him open because they weren't going to pay attention to it. Got him open, he put the shot up, and it went in, and we won. So, yeah, eh, you know, I don't know it was good coaching. It was off-the-wall coaching anyway. But it worked. Yeah, that was my personality. I want, I take chances. and I've done it many times. I did it once with Eric Mountains in the game. He had scored over 30, and it was for the district championship. And we had the ball with, uh, what, seven seconds or something, set up the play. I had him take the ball out of bounds. And people were like, what is he doing? He took the ball on the side, and I set it up. We'd run our patterns, which we had in those days. We ran certain thing plays. And I remember Mark Womack was the best shooter I had. And I said, Mark, you're going to be over here, but you're going to run through this double screen, and you're going to come clean. He ran across. Eric passed him directly the ball. Nobody around him. He jumped up and buried it. And game over. It's amazing. I don't know. I don't know I was smart, but I was a gambler. Well, again, I think it paid off many times. It paid off at least 578 times in your coaching career. Yeah, well, that's true. I had kids, though. I had real good kids. But I wasn't necessarily a great recruiter, but I... Well, let's talk about that. To, to have great kids and to win and to be successful on the hardwood, you have to get good players, and that's what you did. You, you know, as much as you like to talk and interact with people, you, you were a good salesperson to bring players like Eric Mounts, Ken Rucker, Dominic McKinley, and Mark Womack. H- how were you able to bring these great players and, and even greater guys uh, to Cedarville? Well, we looked for, you know, I didn't, I didn't try to recruit people who couldn't make it at Cedarville. 
or weren't wouldn't weren't fit for Cedarville. There are a few came in that were not right in line with where we were. And one of them, one of the tallest kids I had was Don Atherton. He's gone through a, a bad life and a good life. But right now he's in 30 years, 40 years in a good life where he found out who he was and he found out that he really did know Christ as his personal savior and he accepted Christ. Uh, and and he he's preaching now. He's, he's a head man in his church. And, and it's just amazing what God does with these young people when they go out and they mature. So Ken Rucker was living in, in Philadelphia. How did you get Ken Rucker out of Philadelphia to the cornfields of Cedarville? I don't know if he really knows. One of our, our supporters and, and a great guy, and he sent more kids here than anybody probably in, in, in Pennsylvania. I can't even come up with his name right now, but he was dynamic. And he said, I got a kid that you want. He went to a Christian school. Nedra, my wife, and I went out to the Christian school and we met with him, and I remember my wife, when we got alone, she says, you get him. She didn't even ever see him play. We, we recruited Kenny, that stage of our life. We had some money. I consolidated all I could and gave him as much money as he could. He was poor. He, he, he didn't really know his father. He didn't know much. His mother was not uh, helping him a lot, and, and, so, and Kenny was looking for direction. And he'd been given direction by this, this supporter that we had. You know, he was an innocent, young, 19-year-old. He could do it all. He was our, our top rebounders. Defensively, he could shut people down. He was, he was unselfish. But I remember him coming down the court many times, looking at the bench. And in your background, Eric, and he, he'd look at me, and I'd tap the top of my head. And that said to him, do whatever you want to do. And he would come down, even though we were a patterned offense, the guys would catch on. They, they'd sink to the baseline, and Kenny'd take it to him. He was uh, quite an athlete. And he's well, probably quite an athlete. He's teaching basketball quite a bit now, but working here at Cedarville. Yeah, he's a great guy. He's a great colleague. And, you know, I've known Ken for many years and just really admire. I saw him play. I didn't like him then. I like him now. Ken's a great story and great testament to uh, really how you have infused Christ into him. Well, he's what Cedarville's all about, uh, really. I mean, his development, what what happened in his life, and, it, and God did it. Uh, I, I'd like to say old Don Gallen was on the job, but Don Gallen blew it many times, and Kenny survived because God had his hand on him. So basketball, when people say basketball at Cedarville, they think of you, but really basketball for Don Gallen is really, in my mind, the process or the system that really flows out of your heart. And, and what flows out of your heart is really ministry. And so you've taken uh, sports teams for evangelism purposes all across the world. Uh, how did you blend your teams with this mission to share the gospel? Well, you know that we didn't go as a basketball team. Okay. I opened it up to other kids on campus. So I had a lot of non-basketball as far as team players go with me, and the, God developed their life, they became missionaries. I can name several of them. Kent Craig was one of them. Dave Southwell played for me, but uh, he became one of the outstanding kids I had. So, But a lot of those kids went with me uh, to, in the Orient, and I don't know if David did, but anyway, most of them went, and, and it changed their lives because they were like me. As a young man, I went, and I remember... Uh, standing beside people and, and, and saying, did you understand the message we gave at halftime about Jesus Christ? And they said, no, explain it to me. 
And I explained it to him, and he said, well, you know, I remember one guy saying, well, I'd be a fool if I didn't do what you're telling me to do. If he really is the son of God, if he really did die for my sins, then I'd be foolish not to. And I said, absolutely. And he bows his head and asks Christ into his life. I mean, that is not much Don Callan. That's 99% God working through uh, somebody like me who really wasn't that good. Well, what what that is, is you just said it. It's it's God working through you. You have to be willing, but God does the work. Uh, yeah, I've been before leaders of nations. I mean, I can't believe it. But I've I've been with uh, with ambassadors and and leading citizens and and people that were very important, and and I had the opportunity to share with them the same gospel that I share with any young man that comes into my office, and uh, it's one of those things that how does a farm little old farm boy get to that place? And uh, again, it has to be God working in your life and taking you beyond what you feel capable of doing. And, and I, I, I have to say I married pretty well too, because I got a gal who, who led me and helped me and supported me and prayed for me and, and did the work when I didn't do it. And I'm traveling around the world. And I did what 35 trips to the Philippines and I did about 10 to 12, 12 trips to the Europe. And I went to other places with the Association of Baptists for Evangelism and, and looking for opportunities and uh, traveling in the Orient mostly. You're still involved in ministry today. Uh, I know you're connected, uh, for one example, with Brian Hansen from Capital Ministries. And you assist him as the chaplain of the Columbus Blue Jackets of the National Hockey League. What's your role with the players, and how have you seen the Lord work within the Blue Jackets? Well, you know, it, it's hard to understand because when Brian came to town, he wanted to get involved with athletic ministry, and I was involved. And he asked me to join him, so we we went to Central State University and and uh, and met the coach there. We actually were doing laundry. We asked for the coach. He said, well, just a second. And he took us upstairs, opened the door, went behind the desk and said, I'm the coach. So we had, we had ministry with Central State. That was where we started. We went to Wilberforce, had ministry there. We, we've had ministry with the hockey team. The owner of the hockey team asked us to come and be their chaplain. There was a hockey, the gym, Dayton Gems, back in the – and uh, we walk in, met the coach. He said, come on, I'll introduce you to the players. And so we walked in and, and we're introduced to the players and they were stark naked almost. They were showering. And I thought, boy, this is unique. And anyway, and we had a good experience there. I had a number of those young men. I remember the last time I saw one of them was the captain of the team. He said, Don, I'm going home. And my grandfather just died and they want me to do the funeral because he told them he'd accepted Christ. And I, isn't that awesome? That's awesome. Yeah, that is great. That is great. So back to the Blue Jackets. What, how are you uh, ministering to those players? Well, we we got we had a phone call from a guy who said you need to check with them. They've never had a chaplain, at, in, in Columbus at the Blue Jackets. And so uh, Brian got on the phone, made some calls. We went up. We met an assistant coach, Brad Larson, uh, who by the way came to visit me while I was sick. Okay. That's close we've become over the year. Yeah. Way and and he gave the first testimony he'd ever given. He said, nobody knows this, but I accepted Christ 
and he told us exactly when he did. And we, Brian especially, had done a lot of work with him, and, and I'm kind of the old grandfather. I'm sitting around, and they're looking at me like I know what I'm doing, and uh, I have a good reputation with them, and I treat them kindly, and I talk to them. I share the gospel with them. But anyway, Brad has gone miles and miles in his spiritual life and, and witnessing to his fellow coaches. One of them has come to know Christ, a man I dealt with at one time, but Brad led him to Christ. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's amazing the spiritual impact that we had in that. And, and Brian has been the leader there. I'm a, I'm a follower, actually, I, and I follow along with, uh, with Brian. I'm his assistant, I guess you'd say. If he can't do it, he knows that I, I'll try. If I've never done it, I'll try. You're you're a gambler. Yeah, I'm a gambler. That's right. And I've walked in some situations that I thought, how can I? How did I get in here? And how do I get out of here? And international stuff that just scares me to death. Now that I think about it, I didn't dare tell my wife all about all of those things, or she would uh, she would never let me go again. But a lot of I've been arrested in foreign countries and. Uh, it's kind of amazing that God has chosen to use me, simple old farm boy, and uh, has developed me to the point where I can uh, I can I can function in almost any situation. I think we all could say that, Don. That we're amazed that God would use me because who am I, you know? And that and that just that just points all the glory to Him. You're you're right on. We're we're all examples of without Him, we're pretty. Uh, uh, we're natural human beings, and we don't have an interest, and we won't do it. But God has a way of grabbing our attention. Yeah, he does. And and let's let's uh, use that as a, a bridge to the next segment. So I know 2020 has been a very challenging year for you. You're 88 years old. Your wife, Nedra, of 64 years, passes away earlier this year. And then later in the year, you come come down with the coronavirus. Yeah, I did that. <laughs> you know, for starters, how is how did the Lord carry you through dealing with the initial shock of losing Nedra? And then we'll get to the coronavirus. Well, Nedra and I were special. We, I wouldn't say we, we spent a lot of time in prayer, or we did, but we didn't spend a lot of time discussing my trips necessarily or where I'm going. I didn't necessarily consult with her before I did some of these things. So, But we were on the same page almost all the time. And so, uh, yeah, it was very difficult. She had uh, uh, started the year with some dementia, and, and uh, we I didn't understand it, but she couldn't quite uh, remember everything, and she always was one who remembered everything. And uh, so I was, I was kind of a caretaker there for about six, eight months, nine months maybe. And uh, then she got, uh, I got so uh, we took her to the emergency room once because of uh, uh, some issues with her heart. And uh, she went in the hospital then. And I think she was the next five weeks in the hospital. I never saw her. And that was when the coronavirus virus started and uh, didn't know what and finally, I decided on bringing her home from uh, the hospital and a nursing home where they were supposed to do the uh, the uh, rehabilitation because the mini stroke had taken some of her ambulatory ability away. And uh, so my daughter and I said, it's time. We brought her home, and I think she was home over a, little over a week. 
And I remember the last time I came home, it was my birthday on May 20th. And uh, they had stuff up, packed up and, and, you know, happy birthday stuff. And, and uh, she could hardly understand that I was, I was having a birthday. But she smiled. And, of course, we hugged and all that. And three days later, she died. Ed, with me holding her hand, and and uh, it just is crazy. We never talked about. We talked about heaven a lot, and she was ready to go. She wanted to go to heaven, and uh, but anyway, the whole issue, and that's a great satisfaction. Being believers, here's here's a wife I've been with sixty four years, and I'm sitting with her, and 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 she and she expired. Right, I mean, I'm within a foot of her face, expired. And, and our, our daughter-in-law, who is a nurse and works here at Cedarville, she said, praise the Lord, she's in heaven. It, it just captivated me. And we couldn't do anything but praise the Lord that she was in heaven because we knew her dementia was heading the wrong direction. It was going to be one of those things that long-term, maybe, but God early. So we praise the Lord for that. And then, of course, I don't know what happened after that, but it was a, it was a, a lot of turmoil. The hardest thing I ever did in my life was to be, survive that whole thing. And uh, because of our love and our, our time together and, you know, relationship. So anyway, but I've started getting over that. And then somehow, of course, I was very careful about the virus. And somehow I, I picked up the virus and, and uh, went to the hospital for another reason. I had atrial fibrillation. Went to the hospital, or the emergency room. They sent me on to the hospital. I was overnight in the hospital, and the surgeon, or not the surgeon, but the, uh, uh, the doctors, uh, the cardiologists, were three of them in my room at the same time. And uh, the nurse came in and said, I hate to tell you this, but he has the virus. Disappeared. The nurses disappeared. It was an hour and a half later before anyone said anything to me and explained to me what was going on. I said, what happens to me? They had no virus in, in the hospital. I was the only one. So they said, we can send you downtown into Dayton. We can send you here and send you there. The next morning, the hospitalists came in, and I had not yet, I don't think, exemplified the virus. They'd got it by, a, by a testing me and uh, down my, by my nostrils and, and out with some uh, saliva type of thing like that. Anyway, so I, I was talking normal since I had no loss of smell, nothing problem like that. The hospitalist talked to me, said, you know, I think we're going to send you home. I said, okay, three hours later, I'm home. And uh, then I started getting sick. And my daughter was there and started treating me. And we'd had no medicine. I'd gotten not a pill at the hospital. They had given me a drink of water couple of times, but anyway, it wasn't their fault. Uh, so I, at home, I started, yeah, I, I started trying to survive, and I lost my appetite. I lost weight. I, I was sick. I couldn't sleep. I had nightmares at night, uh, repeated nightmares during a night. In fact, I think I told you when I came in, the best night's sleep I had in the last four months was last night. Uh, thank the Lord for that. But I slept through the night. Almost, I was up once, and uh, it, but it's a it's a it's a it's a vicious vicious thing that happens to you in that, and I don't understand it. But I was not me; I was somebody else. It seemed like, and my mind was my mind was blown almost. 
So uh, how serious was it for you? Well, it was serious. And I was, uh, I was actually almost uh, three and a half weeks getting back to normal. But I think I, I think I was weakened before that with whatever, my atrial fib or something caused me weak. And I had no energy until about a week and a half ago. I got a, a shot. Doctor gave me a shot of vitamin B12, I think it was. And all of a sudden, my energy started coming back. And so I started feeling better. And today was my best, it's my best day since I got sick. Well, Don, uh, keep going in that direction. We want you around for uh, quite some time. So be careful. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm a smart aleck. And when I start making my daughters, I know you're okay when you start back in smart aleck again. That's right. That's the Don Callen that I know. Don, I have, I have time for two, two questions. Um, okay. So given everything that you've experienced this year and in your life, what, what's the Lord teaching you right now? Well, I tell you, the Lord has taught me a lot. And usually it's about myself. When Nedra died, went to heaven, I said, Nedra's in heaven, I want to go to heaven. And then I got to thinking, what am I going to do when I get to heaven? Am I going to fall my face before Christ? Is he that special to me? Uh, and, and I remember one morning I got up and I looked at, around the room and said, I, poor Nedra. I said, no, poor Don. Uh, I'm the one that's missing something. And then I started thinking, I said, Lord, when I get to heaven, I actually did this. I said, can I see Nedra first? That's the dumbest prayer anyone ever prayed. And, I, and God started working in my heart and life. And I said, I, I need to know who Christ. I need to know him better. How do you do that? I started reading his word, applying it. I had some special people send me book a book that uh, Warren Wiersbe sent him a book. Uh, well, he was dead then, but one of his friends, David Graham, sent me the book. And others, uh, Ken Nichols, one of our graduates, sent me a book. And, and all of a sudden, I start finding out that God is interested in me, for me. He wants me to be his servant. And he has something for me to do. Like a, someone said, you wouldn't survive if you hadn't. I thought I was going to die when I had the virus. I really did. Uh, but God resurrected me into the <laughs> what I have today, which is not absolutely perfect, but I'm better than I was. <laughs> there, there, there's still work for you to do down here. Well, and I have some people. I do. I work not only with sports ministry. I look with senior citizens in this, our area. They come into our fitness center, and I witness to them, talk to them, go visit them. And I've done a lot of visiting during this virus time, visiting in their homes, actually, with masks on. And, uh, but sharing the gospel with them. Keep it up. So my last question, Don, what does Cedarville University mean to you? When I came to Cedarville, that was my dream to, to do a coach in a Christian college, but I didn't know about it. And my pastor, Nedra's pastor who married us, said, I know one, and he brought me down here to meet Dr. Jeremiah. And uh, about two months later, Dr. Jeremiah called me and asked me if I wanted to coach. Because coaches have a funny position. In, in, in society, they're, they're treated like they're dumb, but then they're treated like they're really brilliant, too. They, that people want their kids to come to you and get their advice and all that. So I, I feel wonderful that God led me to Cedarville and uh, praise the Lord, you know. But it's not me, but it's the people around me that have made it what it is. And the Dr. Jeremiah's and the Paul Dixon's and the Cliff Johnson's and the and, and they, Dwayne Woods and the, those people 
really made my life. They, they allowed me, they believed in what I could do. They believed I could, I could motivate people to do whatever I had my silly head and they do it. Uh, it's a fabulous story. And your host, your whole life journey is, is great to hear. I, I th- want to thank you for spending the last 30 plus minutes with us and just telling us your story and reliving some of those. Uh, it's great to talk to a Hall of Famer and uh, not just not just in basketball, but in the faith. So thanks for joining me today. Well, praise the Lord. And that's where it's important. It's how, what we're doing for the Lord. Thank you for listening to Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. If you were encouraged by this conversation, like I was, please share this episode with a friend. If you know of an awesome Cedarville story, share it with us. We would love to showcase how God is at work in the Cedarville family. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another Cedarville story for God's glory.